I see what I say. The Green Notebook, carried by military leaders around the world. Within those pages are sweat, tears, triumphs, and the hard-won lessons of life. Lessons worth sharing. Each week, the team dives into the notebooks of military leaders, business professionals, authors, athletes and coaches, and entertainers to share lessons and help you lead with the best version of yourself. Hey, it's Joe here, and every morning before I crack open a book or sit down to do some writing, the first thing I do is brew an amazing cup of Alpha Coffee. They make premium 100% Arabica coffee, and Alpha has some of my favorite blends. They have Dawn Patrol, which is a nice medium light breakfast blend. I also enjoy Charlie Don't Surf, which is a medium Kona blend. And I even get to take Alpha Coffee to work with me because they also make K-Cups. Not only do they have great coffee... They're a great veteran-owned business who has shipped over 20,000 bags of coffee to deployed troops. They also offer a 10% discount to members of the military and first responders. And Alpha Coffee has been an awesome company to partner with at From the Green Notebook. So taste the Alpha difference and purchase their coffee today at www.alpha.coffee or via Amazon Prime. Welcome to another episode of From the Green Notebook. I'm your host, Joe Byerly, and this week we're diving into the Green Notebook of Colonel Everett Spain. Colonel Spain is the head of the Department of Behavioral Sciences and Leadership at West Point. In this episode, we're going to talk about an article that he recently co-authored in Perimeters called The Battalion Commander Effect. And what he found was that statistical evidence suggests that battalion commanders are a significant determinant to whether a lieutenant stays in the army or gets out, especially high potential lieutenants. He argues in this article that this battalion commander effect should be included in Brigadier General Promotion Board assessments and used to inform our professional military education. And so in this episode, we talk about the article, but we also spend a lot of time talking about different leadership issues that a battalion commander is going to face. And so this was a really great episode. I wanted to go a thousand different ways with it, and it was really hard to stay on track with Colonel Spain. So I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. So please welcome to the show, Colonel Everett Spain. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. Yes, sir. Well, let's dive right into a research paper that you recently co-authored called the battalion commander effect. And could you just describe when you say the battalion commander effect, what you mean by that? Sure. In short, the battalion commander effect is the influence a battalion commander has on their lieutenants that serve underneath him or her. And specifically, the influence that pans out to affect whether that lieutenant decides to stay in the army or to get out when their initial service obligation comes to an end. In other words, do they decide to stay in to be a company commander or not? And that influence kind of plays out in two ways. One is the lieutenant watches that battalion commander and decides, hey, do I want to continue a career in a profession where I'll have to work for people that lead like him or her? In other words, do I want to keep working for people like him or her? 
How was the leadership I experienced? And do I want to continue being under that for the rest of my career? The second question is maybe even more impactful. Do I want to become him or her both as a leader, but really more so as a life? Do I want the life he or she role models for me? Do I want to become that? That's the battalion commander effect. I think that's super interesting. And I have a ton of questions, sir, that I want to ask about that and what you found in your research. But one of the things up front you say is you talk about counterproductive leadership behaviors is one of the factors that when lieutenants get out of the army, because of what they see from their battalion commanders. So what do you mean when you say that? A quick word that we're familiar with that captures a lot of that is the word toxic. You know, are you demeaning? Are you self-focused? Are you um, difficult to deal with? And when we talk about counterproductive leader behaviors, the key to it is frequency. So Dr. Melissa Wolf worked for CAP and is an industrial organizational psychologist out at Fort Leavenworth. She's uh, pretty advanced in this topic, and she helps with the BCAP and CCAP with our ASETs, which are the 270-degree evaluations that help shape this. But she points out that all of us have bad days as leaders where we talk to people like maybe we regret later or we're a little harsher than we, than we want to, or we come across that way and the stress gets to us. That's no problem. That's just normal leadership. The problem is, are you like that? Is every day a bad day for your subordinates around you? <laughs> so especially if you think about BCAP, the people are being evaluated on their years as a staff officer, really. We're taking staff officer evaluations, both OERs and ASETs and other things, and trying to translate, are you going to be a good, good commander or not? And a lot of these staff jobs are hard. Battalion XO, Battalion S3, Brigade XO, Brigade S3, et cetera, are, are tough jobs. And a lot of times you have to enforce standards and pull staffs through tough situations. And a lot of times that takes direct leadership. So being toxic doesn't mean high standards. It doesn't mean enforcing standards. It doesn't mean occasionally having a bad day or raising your voice when maybe you would have done it differently. Or maybe it was, it was what you had to do at the time. It's just, is every day a bad day for your subordinate? And that becomes, a, is a toxic leader. Right. I think sometimes too, that we look at toxic leadership as this uh, man or woman is just mean, like they just have a sour disposition all the time. But it could also be like a form of incompetence, right? When you're talking about counterproductive leadership behaviors. You hit it on the head. When you talk about counterproductive leadership behavior, you're really including the toxic things that you and I referred to. And you're also including ineffective. And ineffective can pretty much take two different roles. One is someone that's unable to lead well at the battalion level, let's say for VCAP. And that's, that's they bury their head in the sand or they really don't understand the complexity of command and they haven't surrounded themselves with leaders and others and staff officers that they're receptive to listening to. Because you don't have to be brilliant to be a battalion commander. You have to be self-aware that maybe certain things aren't your strengths. And if you surround yourselves with others and are open to their input, that's great. You can compensate very well. But someone's ineffective is neither ready to, for the complexity or they're not open and humble enough to listen to others. Or you're unwilling to handle the complexities of command. So you can be brilliant, all in, work really hard, have high character, except you don't have the personal courage to engage in controversy. You want everyone to like you or you want to avoid conflict so much. You're afraid to stand up and do what's right when it's hard. You know, all of us are good people when it's easy. But when it gets hard, are you ready to enforce those standards, hold people to accountability when it's not easy to do that. So those are the two ways of ineffective leadership as well, which we'd include under counterproductive leadership behaviors. 
Well, sir, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, we're only like six minutes into this interview and I'm already hating it because uh, there's like a thousand rabbit holes that you're introducing every time you speak that I want to go down. But I have to like stay so limited. I love that you're talking about leaders' weaknesses and the importance of self-awareness there too, because I know for myself, since it's just you and I talking and nobody else is listening right now, I struggle with conflict. Like I struggle with interpersonal conflict. I struggle with, you know, having conflict between people. And so I know that for me, I have to make a concerted effort to push myself beyond that. But if I'm not paying attention to that, then I could fall into one of those counterproductive leadership behaviors of conflict avoidance, which then creates a whole rainfall, whole waterfall of problems afterwards. Brilliant. You know, I think most of us struggle with conflict to some degree. A couple pointers on it that I've found to help me be better at it, though it hasn't solved the issue, right? We're just people. But one of them is a, a banking CEO named Jamie Dimon. I think he's JP Morgan. He's uh, being considered by the society or the banking industry to be very effective as a leader. And what he does is, and I think uh, Treasury Secretary Hank Paulson used to do the same thing, but you know, you think a lot about your job over the weekend, even though you try to disconnect a bit, and you think about some hard things that aren't going well is kind of what's on your mind is to come in on Monday and act on the things that are really bothering you that are hard to do. And if you get this discipline that on Monday mornings, you're just going to go have those rough, tough, difficult conversations, but important conversations or intervene to find out more in a situation that looks a little iffy, that's a good discipline. And then you just know every Monday, for example, you're going you're gonna to engage those things. Of course, it doesn't say you disengage the rest of the week, but it's a discipline to engage in things you don't want to as a human. The second thing is to have a little bit of an accountability partner for this stuff. Now, typically that can be your command sergeant major, your XO, your S3, a fellow commander, but you got to be really open to him or her or a group of people about your vulnerabilities and how you're, you have fear about having this engagement because you have this engagement and you're holding someone to a standard. It's not over in 30 minutes usually. Usually you have to follow up. Sometimes they may bow up and try to you know come back with a you know something that's just disagreeable. The challenge with all these hard situations is they're hard to deal with and they take time and they're dynamic. But having accountability partners that you talk about, you talk about approach with them, you let them know your vulnerabilities, they can coach you a little bit on the best way to do it. And then they can ask you, did you do it? How'd that go? And be there for you to help you kind of follow through as well. But it's just a lot easier when someone believes in you, helping you get there. And if that's your sergeant major or et cetera, it's great. If it's a partner in a unit next door that you can trust to keep things in the cone of trust, that's great too. Those are all great pointers, sir. I know one thing for me that I do is say like, hey, like if I had a booger in my nose, I'd want somebody to say something. And I'd be really upset if I was walking around all day and like nobody brought it to my attention. So I try to reverse that with other people of, hey, if there's something that you're doing that I don't think is productive or something you're doing that's not helping us meet mission, like I need to say something now because it's just going to snowball and get worse later. Just a quick follow up. Yeah. There was a a straight civilian, a wonderful guy, my dissertation advisor when I was working on my uh, doctorate, he used to tell me, he said, Everett, I care deeply about you. And that was a little bit of a bizarre statement from a civilian. But I've kind of adopted that when I talk to people about things they're maybe not doing well, and I need them to change some decisions they're making. I started with, you know, Bill, Janine, comma, I care deeply about you. And therefore, I'm going to share this with you. And that doesn't solve everything, but I think that puts my heart in a good place for their development. And it also usually helps their heart to hear it a little better and not be as defensive. And it's true, to be honest, to be honest with you. 
And that's exactly the entire episode I had for the start of the season with Kim Scott, the author of Radical Candor, was talking about the importance of caring. Wow, like this is great. Like I really want to just do a whole series of Colonel Spain and Joe in the morning. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm in, Joe, I'm in. (laughs) On these leadership topics. But one thing that, you know, I feel like some people could argue is that, you know, a company commander is the person who a lieutenant or platoon leader spends all their time around, not necessarily the battalion commander. So going back to this research paper, why do you think the battalion commander is so important in the retention of talent with lieutenants? Thanks, Joe. To be clear, in the and I think we say this in the paper, we can't prove empirically that the battalion commander is more influential than the company commander on the retention decision. But I hypothesize they are on average. Uh, the reason I hypothesize why is the battalion commander is in a different spot from the lieutenant's perspective. A company commander is three or four years older than a lieutenant. A battalion commander is 15 years older. A battalion commander is also vested in that organization. They're a company man or company woman. What do I mean? Well, they're at retirement age. They could retire, which means that the organization said, this is a person that has done well and has full career here. The company commander could get out right away. They could be a temporary employee. The battalion commander has also been selected by a department of the Army level process, the CSL board, that put them into that position. So the Army is sanctioning them, where the company commander is just a local hire by that brigade commander saying, hey, you're in command because I want you to be. Also, the battalion commander has a lot of power that the company commander does not. They sign a lot of things that move the organization, where the company commander is more kind of down and in and close fight. The other thing that's maybe more important is a battalion commander sets the culture for the entire unit. So the battalion commander affects the company commanders. The battalion commander affects the first sergeants, how they lead, how they interact with others. Their culture waterfalls down. Does every company commander and first sergeant act just like the battalion commander? Absolutely not. But they absolutely follow and are influenced by that dust that magic dust a battalion commander leaves around by what they do and they don't do, it absolutely affects the company commanders. Therefore, the battalion commander is responsible for everything that happens in that battalion. And that's both a practical thing for accountability and also a conceptual thing for things like the battalion commander effect. I want to talk about that dust a little bit because that made me think of something. When I was a lieutenant, I wasn't an avid reader yet, but my company commander was doing all this stuff with me, you know, expanding my culture horizons by introducing me to finer dining, getting me beyond uh, Applebee's. He was doing map exercises with me. He was encouraging me to read, encouraging me to write. And he was doing all this because he talked about his battalion commander, Lieutenant Colonel H.R. McMaster, used to do this with him. And so I had this idea, flash forward, After I had come out at company command, I asked one of my junior lieutenants, I said, hey, I want to try this experiment out. I was like, I want you to to write down three things you learned from me when uh, I was your commander. And I wrote down three things I learned from my company commander, my first commander. And then I asked my company commander to write down three things that he learned from Lieutenant Colonel McMaster. And what we found, we published this article called Third Generation Leadership Redux, or Redo, if you want to talk to French But uh, (laughs) what we found was it was the exact same thing. The leadership wake that that battalion commander had in 2001, Lieutenant Colonel McMaster, it continued on like a decade later. 
because of that. So I'm with you 100%, sir. I believe that there is something about that dust, that leadership wake that a battalion commander leaves behind that's so important. Yeah, so a uh, McMaster story. So uh, one of my friends, probably a colleague of yours, Lieutenant Colonel Brian Montgomery, is a second lieutenant in the 82nd on a building top in Tilafer with his platoon doing a patrol pre-surge. And a couple guys, a couple Americans start bounding across building roofs, kind of low crawling, keeping pro- low profile. And like, who are these guys? And it was uh, General McMaster and a couple of his PSD just checking on troops in the middle of the action. <laughs> and he was, uh, you know, it was just good dust he was putting out there, caring about his soldiers, willing to share danger and see what it's like on the ground and talk to leaders and soldiers where they're doing their business. I'm completely fascinated by this entire topic. And I love that you say dust because it does leave behind. As I look back on the last 18 years of my career, it was seeing what those leaders at the battalion level were doing and what they weren't doing. That was so important in shaping who I am today as a leader. Switching gears a little bit, you know, you, you said that like that was your hypothesis that you have about the importance of the battalion commander. But will you talk a little bit about the research behind like what, what's leading you down this train of thought? The Army makes a data entry since about 1991-ish. The Army's made a data entry on every officer once a month that basically says who we are, our branch, what posts were assigned. Are we married? Do we have any dependents in addition to our spouse? Some other stuff. And it, it tracks us every day. So that data entry happens automatically. And one of the things it does is our uh, the unit we're in tracked by the six-digit UIC code. So what I did was I, I was always interested in this topic, right? Do battalion commanders influence lieutenants? I had I had one terrible, one great, and one medium battalion commander. So I was I was like, hey, they all three had different effects on me and my desire to stay in the army. So I wonder if it's just me or it's a systematic thing. And we'd all heard stories. And I was wondering, hey, can I prove this empirically, or can I provide evidence for this empirically? Because stories only go so far, and the anecdotes can be misused to uh, consider things that aren't true. So um, I was able, through the help of colleagues in OEMA at West Point, to secure a data set of about, I forget, 15 years of every officer in the Army, every lieutenant, every lieutenant colonel. Now I was able to match the lieutenant colonel with the lieutenants based on the UIC code, because at any one time in any battalion, there's only one lieutenant colonel in any one of these MTO battalions. I didn't do things. I didn't include some specialty battalions like... Uh, a soft battalion, like a ranger battalion, because those are people that already made some decisions that might signal some something was different about them. Or I didn't include aviation battalions because they have longer ADSOs. But the rest of the battalions in the Army, I, I tried to capture the operational and tow battalions. And I matched every battalion with the lieutenants and uh, every battalion commander with the lieutenants. And my calculations were able to do two things. One is, in the end, I was able to run a regression that showed of all the battalion commanders, what percentage of their lieutenant stayed in or got out? And that's just the number in the end. And I weighted it per, if a lieutenant was only under that battalion commander for a month or six months, that was weighted appropriately versus a lieutenant that served in the battalion commander for two or three years, right? That influence should be considered. So I weighted it based on time together, but I was able to do two calculations. One was empirical tests to show that on average, do the battalion commanders, are they statistically significant influencers of that lieutenant staying in to be a company commander. And I picked a date on the wall, which is the end of the six-year service, which really gives enough time people, no matter what their ad so was, to decide to get out or stay in. 
right before the time most people become a company commander. So if they stayed in past that date, they probably made the decision to be a company commander. They got out, they probably, uh, you know, they got out. So, and I ran that, that statistic, it came back statistically significant that on average battalion commanders influence their folks' retention. Um, we controlled for all kinds of things. Did you have kids? Were you married? What was your post? What was your branch? What was your commissioning source? All those things legitimately could influence as well. Did you go to ranger school? Did you go to air assault school? Did you go to airborne school? So we control for all of these things, which are trying to take out other things that could influence people's decisions. Of course, we couldn't control for everything. Of course, some lieutenants come in the Army absolutely sure they're going to get out when their ad so happens. Of course, some people come in the Army thinking they absolutely would stay in forever. A lot of those folks end up changing. But on average, since most people had about 30 lieutenants, most battalion commanders, the law of large numbers averages out. It's a reasonable assumption to say, yes, this is statistically significant evidence is true, and the battalion commanders do have an effect. Of course, some of their effects are positive. Of course, some of the effects are negative. Of course, some of them really didn't have an effect. But on average, the statistics show the battalion commander matters. The second thing that I measured is each battalion commander, therefore, could have a number once you're weighted between zero and one. Someone that had a 100, or let's do a percentile, one would be 100%. Someone that would have 100% would mean all their lieutenants decide to stay in to be a company commander. Someone that had a zero, all their lieutenants decide to get out. So every battalion commander we measured, their exact, we call it the battalion commander effect number. The average, I think, was about 60% of lieutenants end up staying in, which is the Army's average for retention, right? But there were some lieutenants, commanders that had 10% of their people stay in. You know, that's a warning flag if I've ever seen one. Some officers had 90% of their folks stay in or more. That's something I'd look into too, right? And also we measured it for high-performing officers because as you know, Joe, we don't, we can't have every Army officer stay in. We have this hierarchy or kind of triangle approach to every grade. We need less officers. So we need some people to self-select out, even some good officers. We just want the best ones to stay in which means we really want them all to want to stay in, but the best ones to stay in if we just keep a few in. Uh, we measure the battalion commander hypo, where we said, hey, there's a million ways you can consider which hypo means high potential, which of your lieutenants are high potential, and do those battalion commanders keep them in? Because of course, there's some lieutenants that probably should be shown other opportunities, right? And the battalion commander hypo is the one that probably should be looked at the closest. We measured it in the research, by including lieutenants that went to higher end undergraduate institutions, which generally signal, you know, some potential there, though, of course, there's plenty of exceptions to that all over the place. And also OCS teammates that scored or that were rated distinguished military grads in ROTC folks, no matter where they went to school, they were distinguished military grads. We ran the numbers and we saw that the battalion commander effect is even stronger for hypos, which makes sense. If you're a hypo, you've got lots of options. You're probably more sensitive to your leadership. And you're more likely to vote with your feet, either for the positive or negative. So those battalion commanders are even more influential over their high potentials. Hey, folks, it's Joe here. And I would like to thank our newest sponsor, my alma mater, the University of North Georgia, located in Dahlonega, Georgia, home of the Mountain Phaser Ranger School. If you are looking for an education, this is a place to go. They are a top-rated senior military college offering over 70 degrees, including critical languages, international affairs, strategic studies, and an award-winning cyber defense program. Their Corps of Cadets is an Army-only program with 24-7 leader development. 
They have consistently been ranked as our nation's number one Army ROTC program among senior military colleges, and this is the institution that I credit with preparing me to be an Army officer. So, if you want to learn more, go to their website at www.go.ung.edu forward slash Army One and learn more about the University of North Georgia, the Military College of Georgia. Now, back to the episode. Wow. There's like so many things right now that I want to ask and I want to comment. So uh, you're, again, you're making this really difficult this morning for me, sir. Um, <laughs> follow up. Keep pushing. Feel free to push back. <laughs> you're talking like broader army. This is one thing that I've noticed. It's bothered the hell out of me my entire career. And this may piss some people off, but like the army's big. And I feel like there's a spot in the army for everyone. For example, I'm an armor officer, but there's going to be lieutenants that come in they may not make the best armor officers later on, but maybe a better fit in like psychological operations or special operations or going to another functional area, like being a, a strategist or, you know, just something else. I feel like a lot of times in our branches, we get so parochial that we write these people off and they get out when they would have been so much more beneficial for the army down the road doing something else. What are your thoughts on that? I think you're onto something. You know, you're getting really into the concept of talent management. And that is everyone shouldn't be ranked one to N. Everyone should be assessed and developed according to their talents, right? And including assignment. We're also getting bigger in the army on what is talent. Well, it's now defined by by the army as knowledge, skills, behaviors, and preferences. That P is really interesting because as an army, we've always let people put in one to, you know preference list, but we haven't taken that as a priority. Now we're trying to, with the talent marketplace, with the BCAP and CCAP, now we're letting people update their preference list after BCAP and CCAP, whereas before they just did it six months earlier and we're stuck with it. Now they learned a lot about themselves. Their family grew and developed in the last six months as well. They've got new preferences. They now have the opportunity to update those as soon as the caps are over. We're already getting positive responses. You know, if you think about battalion commanders, like here's a quote I had from a lieutenant, you know, my battalion commander counseled me. It was the only time in my career that I was counseled by a raider. He was genuinely interested in his lieutenants. He made us all feel army was honorable profession, important. And when you counsel people in person, they'll share with you their kind of hopes and dreams. You'll share with them their talents. And they're more likely to find out maybe I should be a psychological operations officer. Maybe that's where I can contribute the most. Most of us are most happy and most satisfied when we're doing well at something it's a win-win because the army is better and the officer and their family are better when we find a better talent match for them. So you're onto something, Joe, help us get there. <laughs> Man, you're just sending me down a rabbit hole today. The other day, and I'll probably get in trouble for this at work later, but um, I heard major general Donahue, 82nd airborne commander. He was talking to a group of field grades and he said something that like really resonated with me. He was like, do not listen to other people when they tell you what you should do in your career. You have to know your strengths and weaknesses. You have to know yourself, like what you want to do, and you have to follow that. And he just talked about numerous points throughout his career when people told him that the career decision he was making was a bad one. And I, I thought about that myself too. You talk about these counseling sessions and battalion commanders, you know, listening, but I also think it's important too that battalion commanders or whoever withhold judgment and just actually listen to the officer and not try to mirror image their own career, their own path on these junior officers. 
Well, you know, I take humility in the battalion commander because we've all been successful in the army's eyes and that gets to our head. And therefore we coach people on what we know and what's been successful for us. And the easiest way to do that is just assign what we did as what they should do too. So it takes humility and also takes energy to figure out your teammates' talents, including their preferences and their life stories and where they're at. So here's another quote from a lieutenant that feeds into this thought. My battalion commander is a complete jerk. He considered any lieutenant pursuing options outside his battalion to be treasonous. He was on a crusade to give average ratings to everyone in the battalion. You had to come in on weekends just to be seen in the office. All the senior lieutenants said they were getting out of this poisonous environment. You know, maybe a lieutenant wants to go to the Rangers. Maybe he or she wants to go special forces. Maybe they want to go psyops. Maybe they want to go information operations. The best commanders and leaders will talk to these teammates, will present all of these options available through the Army and help find the best one for, for that officer. You know, everyone's usually winning. Now, I'll caveat a little bit. You know, one of my weaknesses, I have a privilege of hiring, you know, about 10 officers out of 150 applicants every year that apply to my department at Westport. I'm delighted. That's a good problem to have. One of the things that we do is we send them for advanced education. And it's important to me that advanced education get returned to soldiers in the Army. So I, I really want my officers that come here to be battalion commanders, operational battalion commanders, because when they and their battalion are alone and unafraid doing America and freedom's will on some foreign drop zone somewhere, I want that education going there. But I have to understand that's my bias. The Army's given a, a lot of options other than battalion command that needs good officers to do so. So I have to balance both. So I, I try to inspire and role model the desire and the hope for them to be choose to stay on the hunt to be battalion commanders, while at the same time recognizing their talents and preferences may take them in a different direction. So it's a little bit of balancing both at the same time. I agree with you, sir. And one thing I just want to make a note real quick for people that are listening. I'm pretty passionate about this stuff. But I have a lot of weaknesses and I mess up in a lot of areas. So I'm going to go ahead and apologize to the fellow battalion commanders I'm commanding with next summer. Like <laughs> I'm going to screw up a lot. So I, I just want to point that out because there are things I'm passionate about and there's some other things that I'm not. And those are probably going to be the things that get me in trouble as a battalion commander. So I just had to make that quick note, sir. So with your study, if you were king for the day, like what do you want it to drive? So a few things. Um, one is I want people like you that are going into command, battalion command, and current battalion commanders to realize that their officers will vote with their feet. So their leadership or lack thereof will impact the future of the Army beyond their two years in, in uniform. That's one thing. And along those lines, just a comment is I've asked a lot of people since the article came out what they think their battalion commander effect was. What's their number between one and 100? And you know what? A lot of them come back and say, you know, it'd be this or that. And my comment back to them in a kind of provocative way is, well, why don't you know? You know, why don't you know? You know, why haven't you tracked all your lieutenants? You know, shouldn't that be something we would have done? You know, to be fair, I, I was privileged to command a garrison. So I didn't have the situation, the battalion commander effect. I had a few junior officers, but not the 30, right? So it's easy for me to say, well, I wouldn't know. But I would hope we get to the point where we keep tracking our junior officers, both for mentorship reasons and to see kind of how we did in voting with their feet. So how would this work? I would like for battalion commanders to stay in touch with their junior officers and, and know, both in a mentorship role and because they care about how they did and how that would drive them going forward. I think this could be used in the Brigadier General Selection process, frankly. 
why wouldn't we want to know? Now, there's a lot of shortcomings and limitations with the battalion commander effect that we were ha- I'm happy to get into. And, and since it's come out, people have pointed out some other ones that are really interesting. But it's still a great data point to be used in a, maybe four or five other data points when we look at who we select from 06 to Brigadier General, um, one of the two most important promotion decisions of the Army. The other, the other decision in my mind is who our battalion commander are. The second one is who we promote to Brigadier General. I'd like it also to inform a General Douglas MacArthur Leadership Award equivalent for battalion commanders. Now, Joe, I'm I'm tracking you were a recipient back when you were company commander, and I'm proud of you for that and your colleagues that were similar. And I'm proud of all the great officers that lead well and try hard and give every day for the Army and their soldiers. But why don't we recognize, use this to recognize some great former battalion commanders? You know, there's nothing better than great role modeling. So we certainly give people awards in public. We give them good OERs that gets them promoted, et cetera. But this is recognition by the people you led. And it's not a vote either. It's just a fact, right? You can see everyone that has a BCE, battalion commander effect hypo of 80% or just a battalion commander effect in general of over 75% getting a certain recognition. And that would be just good. And then you ask them, well, what did you do? Or maybe even better, ask their people, what did they do? What were the specific actions they did that inspired you to stay in and keep leading and growing in the army when the army's hard? You know, that'd be really interesting. And we could... uh Hold that in high regard. We could share that with schools, officer development schools, basic course, career course, ILE, et cetera. We could also do the same thing with the folks that were really low. We certainly wouldn't embarrass them in public in any way, but we'd get the lessons learned on what did they do that didn't inspire you, the desire that made you want to get out and kind of share those as well with those schools. So we like, hey, here's the things that lead to great lieutenants wanting to stay in. Here are the things that lead to great lieutenants wanting to get out for your consideration as you go forward. It's funny, the squadron I'm taking next summer was the same squadron I was a lieutenant in. And what I found out is, is if you're the lieutenant mimicking and making fun of the battalion commander during skits at the ball, you could very well be that commander of that same battalion 18 years down the road. <laughs> and so it's terrible. So don't do it. Like, just listen to me right now. This will happen to you. I've stayed in contact with that battalion commander over the years. And to hear his voice when I told him that, hey, sir, I was selected to command the same squadron that you commanded, just like it kind of made my day, made it all worth it. and was so powerful for me. And, and another person that kind of stands out too, he was a brigade commander when I was a lieutenant, was Colonel Retired Jim Greer. He retired years ago, doesn't have a dog in the fight anymore, but he's continued to check on me and like... Every time he comes into town and I'm in a place, like he he grabs me and, and pulls me in for coffee or whatever. And 18 years later, he's still like the old ball coach mentoring me and helping me along. And so that's so beneficial. We've got like seven minutes left and th- this is killing me because uh, this should be like a two or three hour one. So we we may have to do this again. So right now, there's a bunch of people going through BCAP, going through CCAP. And at this point, it's like you either done it or you haven't, right? You go in there with the knowledge that you have. You go in there with the past experiences, the past interactions you've had with subordinates and peers. So like if we're talking, you and I are talking right now to lieutenants and captains and future battalion commanders, what are some practices that you think that they should start right now at their level? Well, I think it goes to their heart. Like a battalion commander, why do you do what you do? 
what's in your heart? Is your heart to develop and care for your soldiers and officers and serve the nation by building and leading an imperfect but quality unit that works hard and does well in hard times? Or is in the heart of hearts is your purpose to really make yourself look good and get promoted? So to be honest with you, there's probably some of both of those in all of us, right? And what are the things you can do to build the former and limit the latter? And those are accountability, accountability groups, kind of like we talked about before. Some people base spiritual study that kind of minimize themselves and uh, lift up others. Others kind of can read philosophy or whatever. But really, we need to look in our heart of hearts and say, why do we do the things we do? And, you know, either friend or, or God or family member, help me to put others first and myself kind of second in my goals. And realizing that, especially a battalion commander, we talked about it before, they're vested. Let's say they end up not getting promoted. Let's say they end up, for whatever reason, that's kind of their career options come to an end. They have already had a wonderful and full and successful career. And it's a time where that's fine, actually, to be honest with you. How do we put others first? So how does that play out in the individual things? There's a million ways. You know, one is talking to your lieutenants. Another is all the things most of us love to do. Go do PT with them. Spend time with them. Talk to them. Get to know them. Hold them to high standards. You know, most of us love to be held to high standards, especially when it's applied relatively consistently across the board. And it's done from a spot of, I care deeply about you versus a spot of, hey, this is making us look bad. Therefore, I need you to fix this. No, the looks are not what concerns me. It's, hey, this is making us be a little less effective than we can. And and yourself, you're not growing in a certain way if this is going on. So really look at your heart, put others first, hold folks to high standards, build your team and be yourself. You don't have to be perfect. Just put others first and things will usually work out great. Those are all great tips. And I think they go well beyond the army. Like whatever you do, why are you leading in the first place is, is a question to ask yourself. One of the things that I guess I, I kind of walked away with BCAP with and talking to folks, and it, it really like brought it to the forefront, is that we, like, we don't reflect enough in our military careers. And I saw that with folks trying to cram at the very last minute, think of all the experiences they've ever had and how they reacted. And so one of the things that I did after that, which really inspired me was um, I talked to like one of my best friends in the world, Cassie Crosby. And so we co-authored this book that's coming out mid-December called My Green Notebook, Know Thyself Before Changing Jobs. And it's really like a 30-day guided reflection for leaders as they're coming out of assignments to look at 29 different leader attributes, you know, everything from ambition to dealing with change to, you know, who you trust in the organization and really take a deep look on what they learned from that past experience. Because what I realized is that we just move so fast throughout our careers. I can't believe that I've been in for 18 years um, at, <laughs> at, at, the, at this point. It's very hard to like really squeeze the sponge of experience, so to speak, as you're coming out of assignments and, and really do a deep dive on it. So even if people didn't pick up the book or whatever, mm -hmm. I would say just sitting down for a little bit after an assignment or even in the assignment and just capture those, those interactions you have with people or those things you struggle with is a great way to you know, gain self-awareness. And so that 
throughout your career, you can start addressing those weaknesses that we talked about, those counterproductive leadership behaviors, and kind of set yourself up to be the leader that our organizations deserve. So thankfully, the Army's trying to do this, and the, the CAPs are a little bit of the catalyst behind this. But Project Athena is an effort by CAC to create a culture of feedback and development across your officer career. And the earlier we can get folks feedback on how they come across to others, et cetera, how they you know, are as leaders, the better, right? So we're trying to put in feedback and development in a form of assessments and 360s, et cetera, at the career course, at the advanced course, at ILE. By the time we get to CAP, there's a couple arguments. One is CAP should be a assessment and a selection versus a feedback event, because those are really, really different things. We could have a different podcast on that if we need to. But- we want to do that early. We will. We will. We're going to do another one of these. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> We're, we want that stuff earlier so officers can you know, improve, become better, and be more satisfied and more effective earlier in their career. The other reason why it's hard to give people just do all these assessments at the cap level is like 18 years, there's an argument that people won't change much or can't change much at that point. But the earlier you are in someone's career, the more they can change their trajectory as well. So, you know, we want to give people a balance. We don't want to make everyone an exact same officer. We don't want to point out everyone's shortcomings every 30 seconds because all of us are imperfect and we need to be affirmed, frankly, more so than we need to be beat up and pointed out all our weaknesses. Because most of our officers through our commissioning sources, selection, development, are really high quality human beings. We're really lucky to serve with them on all levels. Same with our NCOs. We don't need to beat them up all the time and point out their weaknesses. But we do need a periodic, maybe every few years, input on their strengths and weaknesses as leaders for them to consider and develop. And they're going to take, it's going to take a lot of humility to accept that. But if we build that into the culture where it's no big deal, we'll be just fine. If we still have a culture where we're too proud to accept it and it's insulting, it'd be hard to get through. My friend, Colonel Townley Hedrick works on the Army Talent Management Task Force with kind of me. And he says, hey, why don't we do a round of assessment, including peers and subordinate feedback as soon as a lieutenant leaves their first unit, in that month or two of PCS time when they're going to their career course, send it all to their advanced course or their career course, what do they call it? Section lead. Small group instructors. Yeah, send it to their small group instructor who is a safe space, frankly, because everyone's going to graduate the career course. And so that small group instructor would get all that data on what is perceived strengths and weaknesses, both in testing and their subordinates and peers, and be able to work with that person one-on-one over the six months they're in the career course together as a safe space. So that person gets great feedback and they have an advocate with just pure development on the top of their mind throughout that time period. So that's a great idea among a bunch of others. So, Well, sir, I, I appreciate your time today. And then again, before we, before we end, I hope I didn't come across as too, uh, too convicted today. Again, I know that I have a ton of issues, I have a ton of weaknesses, and there's going to be a whole bunch of people that are going to figure those out pretty quickly here in the next year. But this is such an important topic, you know, going forward, because you're right, like our future of our national defense, our leadership in the military is going to depend on having talented individuals in those future senior leader roles. And I know I'm not going to be one of them, but there could be a lieutenant in my formation that's going to be the next chief of staff or the next, you know, JSOC commander, like you don't know and can make all the difference in the world. So, sir, I, I appreciate your time today. And I look forward to at least doing two or three more of these with you throughout the year, if you can make time for me. Hey, thanks, Joe. Um, you know, another quote from a former lieutenant said, my battalion commander put wind in my sails. And 
you know, we all want that battalion commander behind us, you know. Um, a couple of just closing thoughts is, well, what's the parallel of this effect on enlisted? And a couple of us were talking, a former NCO said he thought it was a Sergeant First Class and the first term enlisted soldier. You know, that's another person that's been vested in the organization, usually close to 20 years of service, has been picked with a DA level promotion. And does that first term enlisted soldier look at that platoon sergeant and say, hey, I want to be led by people like this in my career and I want to be a person like that. So that'd be interesting to test as well. On the other just closing comment, Joe, is that one thing I, I'm a little concerned about is I don't want to be too hard on our battalion commanders either, right? That's a really tough job. It comes at a tough time in someone's career. We usually have some older kids, maybe a spouse with a certification that has to move. It's a stressful job. You're asked to do lots of things, especially in the social media world today. Um, you're under the gun in a lot of ways. So in this the battalion commander effect and other things we're evaluating battalion commanders on, I don't want to be too too difficult either. I want to encourage our battalion commanders, give them energy as well, invest in them as well, realize they're imperfect and help coach them through and give them a space to lead and make decisions and back them up because almost all their decisions are made with character and, and good heart and mind. So I also want to, you know, affirm and and back up our battalion commanders, even, even those all of them that are imperfect. So And that was a great preview for the next conversation that Colonel Spain and I will be having on a a future episode. Well, sir, again, thanks for your time today. This was an amazing conversation, and I look forward to the conversations it'll generate when folks listen to it. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for your service. We're uh, pulling for you to be a great battalion commander. We know you will be, and uh, thanks for what you do for the Green Notebook team. Thank you again for listening to another episode of From the Green Notebook podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us gain visibility and the opportunity to help more people on their leadership journey. Also, make sure you check out our website at www.fromthegreennotebook.com. There, you can listen to past episodes, read leadership articles written by military leaders from around the world, You can sign up for our monthly reading list email where you can learn about new books that are coming out and our Sunday reflection email that comes out every Sunday morning is really short. It's a two minute read, but I guarantee you it's going to start your week off on the right foot. Finally, make sure you follow us on Twitter at FTGN Notebook, and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for From the Green Notebook. Again, thank you so much for coming on this journey with us. I am humbled by the opportunity to learn these lessons alongside you. So please join us next week for another episode of From the Green Notebook, where we're going to help you lead with the best version of yourself. I came from the mud, there's dirt on my hands, strong like a tree, there's roots where I stand, oh, I've been running from the love. Shoot me down.